There is um, an interesting phenomenon that I found. I stumbled across this week. You can um, you can Google it on your own time, see if it's legit. But it's actually called the bystander effect. Anybody ever heard of the bystander effect? Okay, you've, uh, some smart people are here, right? So here's here's the bystander effect. This is what I learned this week. That actual people that are smart that have actually done the studies, they have found this that if a crisis happens, so like right now, if somebody in this room just fell over, like Richard, say for example, just fell over on the floor, the bystander effect says this. That in a crowd, only 20% of the people here would help. Only 20%. Now, if there's not a crowd, that number goes up significantly. If you're the only one that can help, then more people will jump in. But if there's a crowd of people around and there's an emergency, what the bystander effect is, is that only 20% of the people will actually jump in to help. And I think we all know why that is, right? Because everybody's kind of sitting there going, well, somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to jump in and do it. And so what happens is nobody does anything. I got to thinking about, you know, what we've been learning this summer. We're talking in July about the one thing that the church is called to do. And what is the one thing the church is called to do? We're called to make disciples. We're called to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. We call that making disciplers. That's just how we say it around here. We're called to do that one thing, and, and sometimes I think, you know, the reason why we don't do that, the reason why the church fails at that is because we're guilty of the bystander effect. We kind of look around the church and go, well, you know, somebody's going to do it, and then nobody does it. We fail because of that. A few weeks ago, we started this series called um, Into the Water, and, and we kind of said, we started with this, this one statement, it's safer on the shore but no one was made for that. None of us were made to stand on the shore. We were all made to jump into the water. We're all made to jump into the water. We talked about how, how God that first week, we said, look, God takes us deep. He leads us out. Remember that, that weird story from Ezekiel 47 where the angel led Ezekiel out into the water. It's like he's it's ankle deep and knee deep and waist deep, and it's like so deep I can't even swim. The angel led him out into the water, took him deeper, and then he brought him back so he could get busy doing some work. We said this, that God takes us deep so that we can go wide. God wants to do something deep in us so that we can do something big in our city. Last week, we talked about swimming pools. We talked about how that's a lot like the church, that we're all in the pool. If we've said Jesus is Lord and we're convinced of that, then we're all in the pool. But have you noticed just looking around that we're not all the same? A lot of us look very different than other people. Some of us like the deep end. Some of us like to splash around in the, in the shallow end. Some of us like the warm kiddie pool. Why it's warm, we don't know, but it's warm. Some of us are rebels, and we like to get on the rope in the middle of the pool, and the lifeguard's like, get off the rope. And we're like, okay, touching it, touching it, touching it. That's us, right? We're all different, but we're all in the same pool. What we learned last week is it's the grace of God that allows different people to be in the same place. This morning, I want us to talk a little bit different. I want you to understand something this morning. We're not always going to go into the water to play. Sometimes we actually go into the water because people are drowning. Now, I lifeguarded for many years at the Y. Here's what I learned about lifeguards at the Y. Lifeguards don't really want to get wet, right? They do all the training so that they can stand on the side and get a whistle and just do this. And then they... Flip it around and go the other way, right? While they're talking to babes. Hey, babe, check it out. I can go that way too, right? And that's what lifeguards do. A successful summer as a lifeguard is whistle flipping, 
girls checking you out and getting a tan. You don't want to get wet. Lifeguards don't want to get wet. Nobody wants to actually go into the water. If they go into the water, now I never had this problem, but if you have like beautiful locks and you just look good, you go in the water. When you come up out of the water, you'll know what your hair's going to look like. Messes up the look. You just want to be cool. Do this. That's all lifeguards want to do. Here's what I've found in church. Man, I don't want us to be the cool church. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't want to be so consumed with looking cool that we would just, as a church, stand on the side, bystander effect, and never actually jump in and help anybody. It's not what God's called us to do. So this morning, I want us to look at this it's a really interesting passage. We're going to be in Jude. It's, if you don't know where Jude is, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It's the book right before that. Jude is a great book to start reading if you want to impress people because it's only one chapter long. So you can tell all your friends, I read a book of the Bible today. And they'll be like, dude, are you see a whole book? A whole book. And it's one chapter, but whatever. Don't tell them that. And what we're going to see in Jude is this. We're going to see that we're called to rush in, that we're called to go in where other people might not. And just before I give, I'm going to give you the big idea right up front today, but before I give you that, let me give you a little bit of background, some history of the church. We've mentioned this in some, in some messages before. But in the early days of the church, do you know what set the church apart? Do you know what really caused culture to see the church and say there's something different about you? They never went around as a Christian saying, I'm a Christian. That's what we do in the South. Well, I'm a Christian. Nobody said that, that back in the day. The outside people would say, you're Christians. The outsiders called them Christians. The outsiders would say stuff like, you must be a part of the way. You ever heard of that phrase? You must be part of the way. It sounds like a cult, doesn't it? Oh, there's those way people, Right? But it was outsiders that called. There's something was happening in the way that Christians lived that was so different that it made unbelievers give them labels. You must be a Christian. It means little Christ. You look so much like this man we've heard of that's named Jesus. You must be a Christian. There's something different about the way you're walking. We're going to call you the way because you're following Jesus. And he said he was the way. So what I've learned is this. In Jude 1, Jude 1, 22, it says this. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Do you just kind of get the action of that verb? And so back in the early days of the church, what really happened that set them apart was this. There was a plague that, that struck their culture. People were infected. They were dying. And so like these Romans and Gentiles and Jews that didn't like the early believers, when their family members got sick with the disease, they would leave town. They would save their own skin. They would get out as fast as they could so that they wouldn't get infected with that disease. But do you know who stayed behind to take care of their enemies? The church. They jumped in. They jumped into the water. They showed compassion. They nursed people back to health, health even at the risk of themselves dying. And that was the one thing, not how many Bible verses they knew, not how many times they went to the synagogue, not how many times they went to the temple. They, it was just what they did with their enemies. It was the fact that they were willing to jump in. That's what marked them. And people said, there's something different about this church, this way. It's what marked them. And here's, here's your big idea. I just want you to get this today, okay, and then we'll talk through it. What marks those on the way is the willingness to enter the fray. I'm not talking about going to a band concert, right? I'm talking about the fray is chaos and drama. All the things that happen in our lives that make us want to run the other direction. 
What marks people that are following Jesus on the way is the willingness to jump right into that mess. Sometimes we go in the water to play. Sometimes we go in the water because people need to be saved. And so this morning, I'm going to give you three, three ideas from that verse, those two verses. Just three ideas. You can take notes on your, on your note sheet. We're going to go quick. i got three videos because you're not going to remember much of what I say, but you'll remember the videos. And so I'll say some stuff. We'll watch some videos, and then we'll wrap up. I want you to get this. Man, there's got to be a willingness among us to go into the fray, to go into the messy places, because sometimes that's what we're called to do. Here's your first point out of this passage we just read. Be merciful to to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them because people need to be rescued. What do you think? You see the game? Leave him alone, Pete. Oh, what are you, his girlfriend? I want to hear what he has to say. Come on! kinds of people need to be rescued. Sometimes people need to be rescued and they know they need to be rescued. Sometimes you're rescuing jerks, right? Like the big kid just mouthing off at the beginning and he still went back and saved them. People need to be rescued. And sometimes the people that need to be rescued don't think they do. This is not based on their perception of needing to be rescued. This is based on what God says about people that need to be rescued. So here's, I've put the verses up there for you. You can just jot those down. Here's, here's three examples of, of times that people need to be saved. Romans 7, 24, Paul said this. He's writing, he said, who will rescue me from this wretched body of death? He's talking about sin, man. We struggle with sin. We wrestle with sin. Maybe you can't relate because you're perfect, but I can relate to Paul when he says, some things I want to do, I don't do. But then there's other things I don't want to do and I do. Who will rescue me? Man, we need to be rescued from sin. There are sinners that need to be rescued. Psalm 35.10. The psalmist says this. David's writing. He says, You rescue the poor from those too strong for them. The poor and needy from those who rob them. We know Poor and needy people, they need to be rescued. And I love what he says in Psalm 43.1. 
Sometimes we have this mentality that, like, you know, if I come to Jesus, I get saved, everything's going to be perfect. And you can find preachers that will tell you that. They're lying, whatever. But here we go, Psalm 43.1. I love this. David says, Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. Rescue me from deceitful and wicked men. Listen, what I want you to get is this. The people that need to be rescued, it runs the whole gamut, doesn't it? It's not just the bad people. And man, that's how we sit. We think that way, don't we? Well, of course, you need to be rescued because you are a bad person. People need to be rescued. Some of you are here, man, you love Jesus with all your heart. You're in a place right now, you just need to be rescued. Even when we've given our hearts to Jesus, David says, vindicate me, rescue me. That, that verse alone, it kills the idea that following Jesus makes everything butterflies and rainbows. So all of us need to be rescued, and that should change every trip we take to Walmart. Because the next time you go to Walmart, and there's somebody, some mom, some dad, they got a kid, the kid's crying and going crazy. What you thought was a distraction, it's really just somebody going, help! Because everybody needs to be rescued. We should be asking this question of people all the time. How can I help? How can I help? People need to be rescued. Here's the, here's the second point. God's a rescuer. I mean, think about that. Like, how awesome is this? People need to be rescued. God likes to rescue. See how that goes together? It's like, it's almost like God thought this through, isn't it? It's perfect. Here's, here's a bunch of verses, just a bunch of verses. I'm not going to read them all to you. You can jot those down and look them up later. Exodus 3.8, second book in the Bible, Exodus 3.8. And let's start in verse 7. The Lord says this, because his people have been crying out, they're in captivity. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. If you don't get anything else out of today's message, will you please get this? God's concerned about your suffering. It's crazy, isn't it? If you've ever been sick for any length of time, you know how quickly, like, pity in your house can turn into, dude, could you just get better? Like, I'm so tired of hearing you cough. You keep sneezing. You're driving me crazy. And they don't say it, but they say it, right? And what do we know right here, man? Wherever you are, God is concerned about your suffering. And here's what he says in Exodus 3 8. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I love this about God. He rescues us from something in order to bring us to something. He rescues you from something to bring you to something. A bunch of verses in Psalm. Let's just read a bunch of these. Psalms 17. Psalm 17, 13. Rise up, O Lord. Confront them. Bring them down. Rescue me from the wicked by your sword. I just want you to get a picture of how God is a rescuer. He loves to rescue. Psalm 34, 22. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. The Lord redeems his servants. Another word for that is rescue. Psalm 91, 14. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I don't know if you were raised in church or not. I was. I think I was born in church. My whole life in church. You know what you learn in church? And I don't think anybody means to say this. It just kind of comes across after years of being in church. The Lord will rescue you 
if you memorize Scripture, if you sing songs the right way, if you attend church every time the doors are open, if you give $10 instead of $1, if you do the church thing, the right thing, the Lord will rescue you. You know what I love about this verse? Why is he going to rescue David? Because he loves him. Because he loves me, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. Acknowledging God's name is not saying GD when you get in trouble. Just to clear that up, okay? Acknowledging God's name is, I'm in trouble. But I acknowledge that you are greater than what I'm facing, and you can rescue me. That's acknowledging God's name. Colossians 1.13, it simply says this, that God has rescued us in Christ from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And I love, you can read this on your own time. I love 2 Peter 2.9. 2 Peter 2.9 says this, that God knows how to rescue godly people. When, when I'm at home um, and the kids come home and they say, Hey, Dad, can you help me with my homework? I say, No. I want to help you with your homework, but I only know how to do math the old way. And the new way, which seems really hard to me, I can't do. But if you want me to teach, teach you how to like, 2 plus 2 is 4. 10 plus 10 is 20, but I, I'm doing like the 0, 0, and the 1, and the 1, and maybe carry a 1 or whatever. And they're just like, no, Dad, like something magical with 9, poof, got the answer. I'm like, I can't help. I do not know how to do that. What you've got to see is this. Man, when we call on God and we ask Him to help us, we're actually asking God to do for us what He's really good at and what He really loves to do. God knows how to rescue the godly. He's not wondering what the next plan is. He knows what to do. Man, I love that. And so if people need to be rescued and God loves to rescue people, is it fair to ask this question? Because maybe you've already asked this in your head. Then why aren't people being rescued? Why aren't people being rescued? If, if they need help, and God loves to send and rescue people. Why are people not being rescued? And the answer is surprisingly simple and fairly convicting. And it's found in Romans chapter 10. Verse 13 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is not a better lifeguard than Jesus. Right? If you call on him, it doesn't say he will save one out of two or one out of three. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we call on him, help, he will save us. And so that's where we are, right? That begs the question, then why don't people always get rescued? It's right here. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they've not heard of? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That is not a Baywatch verse. How beautiful is the woman running to me with the PFD. No, no, no. How beautiful are the people that show up and preach to me. That there's a God who can rescue me if I just know to call on Him. Why aren't people being rescued? Because God has called us to be a part of the plan. Because God has called us to preach to them and say, look, there's a God who can save you. He's called us to snatch them from the fire and save them. We have to enter the fray because we've been called 
to be a part of a rescue mission. Next ride at Carowinds. Um, let's just let's make the obvious um, distinction between Iron Man and God, right? So Iron Man, this audio is a little bit hard to understand. Iron Man faces a limitation. There's 13 people in the air, and apparently he can only hold four. So he has to get people to help him. God has no limitation. God has no limitation. But the crazy thing about God is people need to be rescued. God loves to rescue, but God has allowed us to be a part of the rescue mission. It's crazy. Listen to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23, verse, 22, verse 3. I'm sorry, 22, verse 3. It's God talking to his people. And he says, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence in the, to the alien or the fatherless or the widow. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of his oppressor. I love how Proverbs 24 puts it, verses 11 and 12. In the message, just it's perfect. Like, I can understand this. It says this, rescue the perishing. Don't hesitate to step in and help. If you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you closely. Someone not impressed with weak excuses. And we're called to be a part of this rescue mission. And that's something I don't understand. I don't fully understand why God would, would call us something so important, so something vital, with people dying all around us, and He would call us to go and get them. But He did. So we've got to ask this question as we kind of land this message. Here's the question that, that you're probably already thinking. How far do we go? How far do we go to rescue somebody? Paul 
who wrote most of the New Testament, would say this, we go as far as it takes. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul would never have been one of those lifeguards that would say, hey, I'm the fastest rescue swimmer. And so whenever somebody's in trouble, I swim out there. I get as far, I get out there as fast as anybody else does. I get within five feet. And then I stop and say, you good? No. Paul says, I go all the way. Whatever I need to do to get to the people that are drowning, I'm going to get to the people that are drowning. Paul would have, I'm not advocating this, Paul would have been the guy in movies that steals somebody's motorcycle to chase after the bad guys. I'm sorry, I'll bring it back, but I need it. Boom, gone. Go all the way, as far as it takes. Here's another one. How far do we go? We go far enough that we risk the thanks of the ones we're rescuing. And everybody wants to be a hero. There's only one hero. His name is Jesus. And if they, if they condemned Jesus, they're probably going to give us a hard time too. We, we, want, we want to rescue people that go, oh, thank you. But you know what I've noticed? Sometimes the people that need the rescuing the most, they don't really want your help. But are they drowning? When I was taught how to be a lifeguard, they taught us this. They said, look, sometimes you're going to go out to people and they're going to be thrashing around so much that they're, they're not going to thank you. They're, you're just going to have to... You're going to have to subdue them, so go underwater, sneak up from underneath them, and grab their legs and pull them in. And just hold them there, as long as it takes. And they're like, if that doesn't work, punch them. Sweet. Can I just skip one and go to two? Get very, You good? Bam! Be awesome, right? I love that. He says, look, go so far that you risk the thanks of the ones that you're trying to rescue. I love how Jude said it. It is, it is weird how Jude said it. He says, like, hate even the clothing. Have you know, did you notice that? Like, what does that mean, hate even the clothing? Is that like love the sin or hate the sin? No. You know what that is? It's like don't worry about messing up somebody's life. Don't worry about messing up somebody's appearance. Don't worry about messing up their stuff in order to save them. No firefighter goes into a burning building and grabs somebody to rescue them and rip. And they pull them and go, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to mess, mess up your clothing. I'll just leave you alone now. No, no, they get their butts out of the burning house. Then maybe they give them a new shirt. I don't know. Man, why are we so messed up? We're so messed up thinking we might hurt somebody's feelings. Save the people who are drowning. I mean, think of it this way. When you're on the way, it means that you'll probably be in the way of people going the wrong way. There's no way around it. Look at our culture. And you're going to make somebody mad. Are they worth saving? We go farther than we think we can, but we never go so far that God can't protect us. 1 Samuel 17, 37, David's talking about how God saved him from a bear and a lion. And so because he did that, I know that he'll be with me as I go face the giant. You go farther than you want to go, but you'll never go so far that God can't protect you. We go as far as God's mercy went for us. Listen, get this, get this in Jude. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. Be merciful to those who doubt. There is a compassion that we have to have 
with people that are perishing. So I want to show you this last clip. It's, it's from a movie called Captain Phillips. It's got Tom Hanks in it. And Tom Hanks plays this, the character of um, Richard Phillips, who was uh, a captain of a ship that was taken over by pirates. And there's a lot of, you know, like, is it a real story? I mean, it is a real story, but is it accurate? Is the movie accurate? I don't know if it is or not, but it's a great clip. So we're going to show it to you. Here's what happens in the clip. You're going to see Tom Hanks right away because he's an amazing actor, right? But who I really want you to see is the person who's taking care of Tom Hanks in the clip. Because I think this is as close as we're going to come to a visual demonstration of what it should look like when those of us are merciful to those who doubt and the people that we've rescued. Captain Phillips, please come in. Have a seat. Try my shoe. I'm Chief O'Brien. I'll be your corpsman today, okay? Can you please tell me what's going on? Can you talk? Can you tell me what's going on? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm okay. Are you okay? Because you don't look okay. Are you in any pain right now? Are you in any pain uh, right now? Uh, right there on your side. Okay. Let me see it really quick. Can you lift up your arm a little bit? Does that hurt? A little bit? A little bit. Okay. Is it tender? Go ahead and put your arm down. Okay, I need you to look at me. I need you to calm down. I need you to breathe. There you go. Deep breaths. There you go. Very good. Awesome. Now I want you to relax your arm. Okay, we're going to put this little thing on your finger and we're going to get your heart rate and your oxygen level. Make sure you're breathing okay. Okay. I want you to keep doing that, okay? What happened to your head? Captain, can you tell me what happened to your head? Uh, they, uh, 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 there is, uh, it's okay. Take your time. Take your time. There's a two centimeter laceration on the left eyebrow. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. It's okay. Okay. I want you to look at me and I want you to breathe. Do you understand? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is that a four centimeter gap? A little laceration there on the left temple. Okay. Very good. All right. You're doing great. Okay. Did all this blood come from your eyebrow and your head? What? Did all the blood come from your eyebrow right here and on your head? Well, not all not, of this. No, not all of it. Okay. That's not mine. Okay, all right, all right, look at me. Okay, we're gonna lay you down, okay? okay? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I want you to lay down nice and gently. Nice and gently, okay? Uh, You're okay, I got you. There you go. Uh, Very good. Captain, you're safe now, okay? Thank you. You're welcome. You're okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Does my family know? Your family knows you're safe, and you will be able to call them as soon as you are taken care of. Sir, I need you to breathe. Okay? You are safe and you are fine. It's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. What marks those on the way is a willingness to enter the fray. And so, look, you know people. Now, you might be that person. You can relate to, to the Captain Phillips, but you know people right now in your lives. And they are a train wreck waiting to happen. You, you just see the choices that they're making. They might not even know what's coming, but you can see it coming. And what I want you to get is this. When that train wreck happens, it is not the time for the church to stand on the side of the pool with a whistle going, I told you, I told you you'd probably drown. That's the time for the church to jump into the water and save. 
to be merciful to those who doubt. The people that cannot even verbalize what hit them. It's not a time for us to say, I told you so. It's a time for us to say what she said to Tom Hanks' character. You're safe now. It's going to be okay. Welcome home. That's what we're called to do. The people in your life, that are, their lives are blowing up right now. That's what you're called to do. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. Be marked as a person on the way because you're willing to enter the fray. Just close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to ask you two questions. One, I'm going to ask you this. It's possible that you're here this morning and that you cannot relate to anybody else except the character that we just watched. Blood all over you. Life is falling apart. You have run into something. You, don't even, you couldn't even explain what hit you. I don't know how I got to this place, but I'm in this place, and I need someone to rescue me. The good news for you is that you're in a place of people that have been rescued. You're in a place of people that can say to you, God is able to rescue. And if that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. That's, that's, I'm, that's where I am. I need, I need to be rescued. Anybody here this morning, that's where you are. I, I need to be rescued. Thank you. Thank you. Second question, second group. You're here this morning, and right now you're thinking about people in your lives. You can see their faces in your mind. And, and you know, man, their lives, they're headed towards a bad spot. And, and, and I've, stood, I've been standing on the side. I can't stand on the side anymore. I've got to jump in. Whether they want me to or not, I've got to jump in. Whatever it costs me, whatever it costs them, I've got to jump in. And, and will you pray for me? How many of you know somebody right now that you need to, re, you need to jump in? Just raise your hands. That's me. All over the room. All over the room. And I just want to close this morning praying for these two groups. And then when we're done praying, you want to talk some more about that? You want to pray for something else? I'll be right up here at the front. We'd love to do that. we got people here that love to pray. But can we just close this morning praying for these two groups? God, I pray for those that raise their hands. Say, I, I need to be rescued. I know this about you, God. I know that you are a God who rescues. You love to come through. And save us. And so, God, I pray that you would draw them, Lord, to, to your son, to Jesus Christ. I thank you for what he did on the cross. I mean, there's not a bigger picture of a rescue mission than the cross. You could have just stayed, you could have stepped back and said, hey, you screwed up. Sorry, humanity, you're on your own. But you didn't. You came near to us in Christ. You sent him to the cross. He entered the water to rescue us. And so, God, I pray that you would save this morning. Those that are here that say, I need that, I pray you'd save them. And for all these others that raise their hands, that people are going to walk out of here this morning. They're going to go and they're going to go back to work, back to school. They're going to go back home. They're going to be around friends, family, co-workers. They're going to be around people that need to be rescued. Lord, I pray that you would fill them with the confidence of knowing you love to rescue. And you have given us the opportunity to be a part of that, God. And I pray, just like that clip from Iron Man, I pray that we would this week, man, we would attach ourselves to you, that your power through the Holy Spirit would be moving through us in such a way that we are prepared and equipped to go into the water and reach and save those who are perishing. God, I thank you 
that though I don't understand why you would use us, you do. And I love that our prayer is that you would use us well. And that we would be, God, great spokespersons for a God who loves to rescue. Make that, God, just an imprint on the heart of this church. That, God, we're never going to be satisfied to stand on the side and just twirl the whistle and look cool. We're always going to be willing to jump into the fray, to jump into the water and rescue those who are perishing. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.